You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. It is episode 87, Friday, March 18th, 2022. How are you doing, Christina Dennis? I am doing great. It's Friday. It <laughs> is Friday. Can you believe it? Here we are again. Yes, Friday. Uh, it, it's it's a beautiful day in Southern California. I'm sure it is in Orange County as well. It is. It is. Still a little coastal fog burning off, but it's quite pretty. It's going to be a beautiful day. The weather has been unbelievable. It's going to be a great day and it's going to be a great weekend. We thank everybody for joining us for episode 87. We've got a great show uh, for you today. It's going to be really good. We've got uh, two really powerful segments and we've made it through the week, which is always exciting when we're doing live streaming, right? Like never underestimate getting through the week live streaming. It's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And here we are. Yes, yes, yes. The technical part that people don't see behind the magic is a lot of work and you do such a good job taking care of that for us. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Before we begin here, I just wanted to throw out that this episode is sponsored by the Recovered Life Contributors and listeners like you. So if you're listening to the show, thank you so much. Make sure you like, share, and follow us. And another way to contribute is to visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can make a donation and join the network. Make sure that you look at info.recoveredlife.us. Yes, thank you so much. And guys, if you're not part of the Recovered Life Network, please join. It's totally for free, recoveredlife.us. And you can get in there and join the bigger conversation. Christina, let's head right into the show here. Um, this first episode I thought would be a lot of fun at the first uh, segment. I thought would be a lot of fun to talk about. It was, are you ready? Ask. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell you, I'm sure we disagree on this. this I is think called, so. <laughs> it was an ask Amy article from the Mercury news and ask Amy's kind of like a, what would you say? Ask Amy is it's like a She's advice more- column. Absolutely. She's kind of like Ask Abby. Do you remember that? Or Dear Abby, I guess is what we used to call it in Ann Lander. So for sure, people reach out to her and ask questions about relationships and different things that are going in her life. And she gives out, I think, really, really great advice. She really does, you know, and I've, I've, I have to say, I'm not somebody who... I don't think I'm the target demographic. I'm going to be honest Maybe not. with you with the ask. I, I don't think I am. But I do watch it every once. I do read it every once in a while. It will pop up on the newsfeed or something. And and I will uh, I, I will read the article. But, it, you know, the funny thing about this article was it was really about uh, about this this woman who's talking about a man that she wants to marry a long-term relationship. And I think Mm -hmm. they live together. They're talking about, they live together and he is always intoxicated. Absolutely. Always intoxicated. They're both young. So let's start with that. But she made a decision. You know, she used to uh, smoke with him, smoke marijuana with him. And it was part of how they began. They bonded originally. It was ab- it was like a third person in the relationship, this reliance on it. Now, she made a decision to quit, go to college, get her degree, and has chosen that she will not partake. And she wants to ask her boyfriend slash fiance, because they did talk about long-term you know, marriage. She wants to be able to ask him to try sobriety, 
and to quit long term. But she's going at it in a way that it would be like, let's try it. You do it for a month and see. And then long term, her real want is that he remains sober like she is. I have it up on screen for the people who uh, are watching on YouTube, Facebook Live, all that stuff. I've got it up on screen, and for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of it here because okay. I, I I found this uh, I, I found this quite entertaining to be honest. I uh, I thought it was I thought it was kind of hilarious uh, it, to to a certain degree because and, and I I know that's probably mean by me saying that, but you know. It's basically she's asking this question. It's like he, this guy, has is enumerated. He's he's basically high all the time, right? Like they don't have a relationship unless this guy is high. That's and right. And I was just like, you know, this is just a, uh, this is just a recipe for disaster. Right. It's a precursor, absolutely, to things not going as planned. And I can tell you, I've been in this situation and I've worked with a lot of people since we talk about codependency and I'm a codependent expert. A lot of people find this in their situation where they've moved on, they've bettered themselves, but the person they love is happy or uh, comfortable with continuing to use substances. Yeah. And I would, you know, when I, when we were talking about this before the show, I said, man, I would, do you, do you get this a lot in codependency coaching? He's like, yes, all, all the, time. the time. It's like, you know, and my whole thing would be like, move on. Like, you, you know, if, if you're sober, if you're not deciding to do this and you're with somebody that they're high all the time, that like, that is like, I, I mean, you know, that those little cartoons where, where the person's up there and they've got the flags and they're like, don't go any further. And they mm -hmm. break the 15 barrier. That's what this has for me. That has this written all over it. Like the whole, the whole thing that we learned in early recovery, it's like, no, I can change them. I right. mean, it just <laughs> like, well, I'm going to throw something at you. So my husband and I are very happily married. We've been together for six years, but he was drinking when I met him. I had no idea that he was drinking, you know, uh, abusing alcohol because he never drank around me. And once, uh, I mean, I was already in, I was already in love. He didn't drink around me. I had no idea. It's kind of funny because when you first get sober, you're analyzing everybody's drinking and you presume everybody is an alcoholic, <laughs> at least I did for the first year. And then it had been some time. I was uh, 16, 17 years sober when I met him. And I remember saying, oh, if you want to have a glass of wine, it won't bother me. If you're holding back, I didn't know his history. Once I saw him drunk, I recognized that he had a problem and I had to make it incredibly clear. I have a special needs son. There was no way I was going to live with an active alcoholic. And so we ended up splitting up for a month because he said yes, but he didn't want to say yes. So he was angry, right? By the time I discovered it, I was already all in. And this happens to codependents, you know, and maybe some people could think that, well, you must have known something, but I truly didn't know anything. We we actually matched. And so I built a relationship with him when he was sober. And the minute I saw it, I knew we had a problem. And so I did share with him that there was no way that I would continue to live with an active alcoholic. I have a special needs son and there's no way I can take care of a second person, nor do I want to. And at that time, he said yes, but he was not all in. He was angry. Um, I suggested 12-step meetings because that was what I knew. 
absolutely what I knew. And what I understood was we spent the next three months with him being secretly angry at me and me not understanding what was happening. And we actually had to split up because there was no way that I could live with somebody who wanted to continue to go down this road. And I remember the heart-wrenching conversation. You know, at that time, I didn't realize he wasn't actively participating in a 12-step program. He was just not drinking. And so the anger was spilling up. You and I always say the real problems happen when you put down the alcohol. You know, that's yeah. when the, you know, when you read really need a different solution. And I am a good al honor, you know, that's the accompanying program to AA, and I'm a codependent expert. So I stayed out of it and the anger grew and we had to actually split up for a month, but we've been together ever since. And he just celebrated five years of sobriety and is coming wow. up on his sixth year. So in some cases it can work. It can work. Yeah. No, I, I, I would, de you're, you're definitely the example of that, that it can work. I think the whole thing though, with this article that got me is that it's okay. I can change him. Yes. Uh, th this whole thing. It's like, you know, I would find, and God, I, I feel like I'm being a pessimist here. I'm going to be the opposite is like, I find that most of this ends in heartache. It does. Uh, people who are sober, who uh, or are non-drinkers and it bothers them. Let's let they even say that they're alcoholics, right? Recovered alcoholics. Right. When they're with somebody who's not even necessarily a uh, an alcoholic, but a, a heavy drinker, right? Right. Right. That usually doesn't work well. It does. I found. You know what I found because, and I listened to this. You know, you hear it in twelve-step rooms. You hear it through coaching calls. It's just like you know. Uh, I'm going to flash back to a clubhouse room that we had in a recovered life discussion. And this woman went on and on and on and on about years that she's been living with her husband who mm -hmm. is a, a, an alcoholic or abuses alcohol, right? Constantly right. and about just the torture she's had to go through to try to stay sober day to day. Uh, so that that's my side of it. I'm like, that's red flag, red flag, red flag. It is red flag. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I guess the reason why I believe in what I believe is that sometimes, you know, we have these courtroom cards that get us into the rooms, you know, where somebody's been popped for a DUI. I think that you can get sober for a girlfriend. I think you can get sober for a loved one, especially at the beginning. It can be your entry point and your motivation. Get sober for your children. We end up staying for ourselves. We end up staying. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with her asking for it. What I found to be deceptive was that she was saying it would be a, a little uh, tiny, you know, practice so they could get to know each other and they don't know each other. I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. When you are under the influence, we don't know that person totally. I, I didn't even know myself when I was under the influence and I've had, had many relationships based on drinking because that's what we had in common. And when I got sober and these are friendships or boyfriends, I realized I didn't have anything in common with them. And I really needed to know them. And some of them, some of that transition worked. Some people were life, life partners, life friends. Most of them weren't. So I think it's okay for her to ask for him to be sober, but her expectation has to be that it's sober for, for life, that it's something, it's oh, yeah. something for them to I look at together. I think the key that you said here is so important. And I think your scenario is, is, is different because I would say that you, you know, he decided that, okay, 
I'm not going to, I need to get sober for me. Right. Like Mm -hmm. he maybe sees what is going on around him. Right. Right. And then says, well, you know what? I think for me, I want to make the change and that's also going to help everything else. Right. I I found though, that like this whole thing about, and you know, look, having worked with a lot of guys in recovery, I know, like, I can't even tell you, Christina, the amount of times it's like, well, I'm getting sober for her. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he sobers up, right, she's just like, I don't like you. Come on. <laughs> right? and, and, I, and, and honestly, and anybody who's listening to this, I don't want to freak them out if, if you're in early recovery. But and many times, too, that uh, guys will get sober. And they'll say, oh, my God, like, this is not who I want to be with. Like, right. This person is not because a lot of the times, not always, you know, not always, but a lot of the times you will go into relationships and not just romantic relationships, but friendship relationships when you're when you're actively using. Right. Um, based on that, that criteria, not based on criteria of picking healthy relationships. True. True. All of that is true. However, there is a chance in the right to say, I want to live a sober life and I want my partner to be sober is enough for the the woman or the man to say, this is not the life that I want. I love you and you, you can do whatever you want to do, but I don't have to live with you. I don't have to continue this relationship. And sometimes people get really angry when their partner says that they get really bitter. I have uh, been working with somebody in the last you know, three years that had this scenario where he wouldn't quit drinking and he wouldn't. And so when she finally moved away from the relationship, he ended up getting sober and he you know, celebrated a year. However, it was with the idea, the result in mind that she would return to him. And that is not the case. And so in that particular case, I can look at it and say, man, that's that's also not a reason to get sober, mm-hmm. you know, because well, you think you're going to live your life. Well, whatever it takes, it takes to get sober. So I'm not going to like I'm not I'm not going to parse words about that. Like, I don't I get that, Christy, I get it. But, you know, I have to tell you, like personally, mm-hmm. like. I think that um, I think that getting sober for other people long term, if that's what it takes to get in, and I think that's majority of people. They get look, you're an interventionist. You know, mm-hmm. many people will sit there in the meeting and they'll say, you know what? Clearly, everybody's pissed off at me. Clearly, everybody's disgusted. I'm gonna do this just for them, right? Mm-hmm. Like so, they're almost guilted into it. But along that journey early on, it's got to be for you because I, I believe. Look one of the things that you learn in recovery is people are fallible, right? Even people who love you the most and are dedicated to you to the most, uh, you know, are, it's fallible. It, 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 it could not only can it change. Okay. But they also can make mistakes. People can right. let you down. Right. And, and ultimately, uh, ultimately I think you have to be sober for you. That's my own personal feeling. Uh, you have to be sober for you. Like, because, eventually people leave or they die or something, right? Something happens. And if your whole recovery existence is based on other people, I find that like totally codependent in a way. (laughs) It is. It is. So I think you're right on. Eventually it has to make that transition from I'm getting sober for her or him or them to I'm getting sober and staying sober for me. 
Now that could take a little bit more time than people realize. And, and it's also not a bad reason to stay sober either. There are some days, you know, in the past when things were very, very difficult, I knew that drinking was off the table because I couldn't be the mother to my high support needs son. And that was enough for that day to keep me sober. So I, I think that we're both kind of saying the same thing. I just know that, you know, red flags can turn into white flags. You know, there can be a surrender for sure. Correct. Correct. And, you know, and I think, I think we would be kidding ourselves to think that, look, if people that are in active addiction mm -hmm. uh, could see themselves clearly, if they could think clearly about the data and everything that they're seeing in their lives, they would of course choose, but you can't, that's part of addiction is that it's very hard to see that the person who's going through it can't see the, the, the full picture clearly and their mind is telling them something else. So I think everybody that comes in, I would say almost everybody, a large majority of people that come in, come in because of somebody else. Because right. they're affecting somebody else, right? And they're like going, oh, I got to go to rehab. I have to go to 12 steps or I have to go to uh, a therapist or something because what I'm doing is affecting somebody else. And now they're seeing it. They're either going to see that or like with most alcoholics and drug addicts, they're going to see the ramifications of that if right. they don't do it. So it's like, well, I don't want to lose anymore. So I'm going to do this, right? And then hopefully through that, they get the message to do it themselves that, Hey, you know what? I like this. I want to do this myself. So true. So true. And I, um, I think that there is this fallacy out there that somebody has to hit a bottom. And now I'm going to say something that's probably controversy because I believe that my whole life until I was trained in intervention and I realized they don't have to hit a bottom to stay sober. I didn't hit any kind of huge rocky bottom. The, the reason why I stayed sober is because I couldn't go to work one day. That was the reason why I started the process. But once I got there, once I started comparing my drinking to other people and realized, oh, that's right, I drink this way. I am a maladaptive user of alcohol. It has cost me. Then I stayed. So, you know, if there's anything that I want to put out is the fact that say something to your loved ones. You know, a lot of people don't say anything when it's just alcohol or just pot, but those things are incredibly dangerous. And I tell people sometimes if they were you know, putting a needle in their arms, would you be as passive as you're being now? Because they're yes. the same thing. Exactly. Well, look, I mean, the, the whole thing about hitting the bottom. I don't believe that either anymore. I used to, mm -hmm. I, I will say, you know, one of the things that you learn in 12 steps, uh, 12 step groups is that the, the pain of active addiction and the memory of the pain of active addiction, isn't always the thing that is going to keep people into the room, the fear of the pain. For some reason, addiction has this ability to look past right. all the previous data and, and feelings and experiences and just go for, I need that dopamine hit right now. I need to escape right, right now. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's not a good precursor in, in my opinion of like a, a low bottom of being able to stay sober long-term. Um, we'll tell you that it is not only not a precursor for, for it. I, I think that sometimes it, it, it hurts people because they come in so beat up, right? It takes them longer to actually gain physical sobriety longer to detox. And I've seen more and more people come in 
and w- with not low bottoms at all, very high bottom people at the top of their game right. saying, you know what, I just, this just no longer works for me anymore. So true. So true. And I hope that, I mean, what we know from a biological standpoint is that after six months of sobriety, you still only have 50% access to your neural pathways that you've had before. So there's no way for a person until about a year, year and a half to really understand what kind of life they want to have and what the decisions mean. So hang in there. You know, if you've got somebody, if you are a classic codependent and you have somebody who has expressed an interest in getting sober, don't wait for it to get to a place where you don't have anything left for this person. Say something now. Absolutely. You know, I think that was the big, I love this article and I love having these discussions and I love not always agreeing too, because the thing is there's different paths to get there. And the one of the things that I found through recovery is that you have to stay open because there's different paths to get different. I used to think there was one way to get sober. There's a general path. People have to hit a huge bottom. They have to, everything has to blow up and whatever. And you know what I've learned through talking with people like you and you know, your experiences, my experiences working with other people, that that doesn't have to be the case. Uh, Like we know now, you know, sobriety is much more of a consciousness, right? right? So, so, so a low bottom is not a precursor to be able to get into that consciousness. So true. So true. Well, Christina, this has been a great segment. We have much more show to come. Um, and before we move on to the next segment here, I want to talk with everybody about a great opportunity that we have in Recovered Life that you could take advantage of. Uh, Christina Dennis and I created this really great codependency primer e-course. This thing is amazing. And the great thing about this is it's only it only takes three days, a couple of hours of your time to really get this, the concept of this, it's called Can't Say No. It's a free three-day challenge that you can download, You that you can participate in totally for free. Christina Dennis sends you three emails that come to your inbox um, and it's a challenge and you go through it. So if anybody's out there that can't say no, what does that mean? You're an over-volunteer. You're always a person in your family that has to rescue everything. You're the person always brings the cupcakes, even if it's totally convenient. You've done it 15 times to the uh, kids event, right? You're Mm -hmm. always a person that has to jump in and you really can't say no. And you feel bad when you say no, that might be a sign of codependency. So take the free three-day challenge and you can get that totally for free at info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. I say before we go to the next segment, I want to remind people how to support us. This episode is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and listeners like you. So make sure you like, share, follow, and leave a comment so we know what kind of content to bring to you. You also want to visit info.recoveredlife.us. There's a space to make a donation, which will help us to continue to help others, as well as the uh, entire network that you can join where we have beautiful conversations like this off of the uh, YouTube. (laughs) Make sure you join it. Absolutely. So you know what? We're going to jump right back in to segment two. Thank you so much, Christina, for telling people how they can can really use Recover Life and how you can help us, right? We've got a thriving community at recoveredlife.us. 
And it's great. It's like it's a private social network where people just people just like you in recovery are actually there talking about these topics. <clears throat> really, it's about this next level conversation that we're having there. So uh, one of the things that we do is a lot of recovered life discussions, which take place on Clubhouse. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about some of those on TGIF Sober. You know, we do this segment, Christina, every Friday. And uh, it's one of my favorite segments because we look back not only in our recovered life, our week in recovery, but just everything that happened in recovered life. And that's a lot of stuff now. There is. There is a lot. I love the rooms. And, you know, I learn from also leading the discussion. And this week I had so much, I mean, just a total new idea about certain things on Tuesday in our neuro room, which is a great room. And as David said, you can find it on clubhouse. We discussed uh, the Brene Brown book, Atlas of the heart. And I learned something about confusion. Okay. Nobody likes to be confused, right? Nobody likes to be confused, but that is the place in which we get new information. And she used a term that I think that I'm going to use for the rest of my life, which is um, optimal confusion. And I love that they put that positive thing before it because confusion is actually what allows us to assimilate new information. And she was talking about how a lot of people will refuse to take in new information because they don't want to be wrong and they don't want to change their mind. But how if every learning needs to be earned, every learning needs to be effort effortful. And I really loved that mindset change because I was confused and confusion is not my favorite, but looking at it that way allows me to start thinking about, oh, okay, actually this is an opportunity for me to learn. And they're saying that confusion, once you in, you know, envelop it, once you embrace it, is actually what will open up our minds and allow us to move toward really positive information that we can learn. Yes, I love that. Um, you know, I hate confusion as well. Um, I really, really, really do. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things with confusion is after you're sober long term, when mm-hmm. you have that, uh, especially that addiction confusion, that thinking that comes with it, it's very disturbing for me. Like I can recognize it. It's like, oh, that's coming up. That's what it is, right? That's what it is. Okay, I totally get it, uh, and I can then just say, okay, I can, I have tools to be able to deal with that. But I find that a lot of people, and it was interesting in the discussion, um, that people just get into the abyss of it. And I totally related to that. Like, right. how many people were sharing that they just got lost in that right. confusion? Well, and too much confusion obviously has negative connotation, but so much of the way we feel is by how we define words, you know, which is really interesting to think about. Like our brain is helping us define this word. We see it and we cross-reference it to, oh, confusion is bad. Confusion makes me vulnerable. When actually confusion is the portal to learning more. And it's that ability to be flexible around the definition and not to immediately go there, you know, not to immediately like use some reference point where you've been confused before and and 
follow it all the way to the end, which is, you know, I was confused about taxes. Then I knew I needed to ask for help. I knew that I needed to get on the internet and read things. I knew I needed to incorporate and do a bunch of different things that I had no idea. And it's this expectation that we're supposed to know everything before it starts. Like there's, yeah. you know, and, and that all has to do with vulnerability. And I love this book that we're studying in the neuro room because it has blown my mind for emotions. And I know we say feelings are facts, but they sure are clues. They are complete clues on what you need to do next. So from this point forward, when I think about the fact that I'm confused, I'm going to say, oh, this is an opportunity to learn something because the answers will come. They've always come in the past. Yeah, yeah. And I can, I can anchor myself to that belief. You know, I got to take a moment here, Christina, uh, before we move on with TGIF Sober to acknowledge the communities that we built here on Recovered Life, because this is exactly what you're talking about. There's a conversation going on uh, in the YouTube live community right now, which we really appreciate all the support there. And along with the lines of what you were just saying, and people are talking about this last segment that we did with Ask Amy, because I think all this kind of bleeds in together into right. this recovery situation. It's like finding your bottom right? Mm -hmm. Like, and it could be emotional. Like, I agree with you that uh, feelings aren't facts, but I disagree to a certain degree. Like now I know better, like when you were saying, mm -hmm. but some feelings, you, you, you have to acknowledge these feelings too. I think that, you know, um, a lot of times feelings that create problems without solutions are facts. So mm -hmm. if you're having the same feeling over and over again, right? And it just keeps coming up over and over again. I think those are things that you really have to pay attention to. And I think that one of the, the, um, the disservices that, that we have, that we've heard from 12 step groups and stuff is like, well, feelings are facts. Feelings are facts. It's not real. It's not real. That's not necessarily true. Right. I mean, it's it, not true. Not in my estimation. I mean, I really believe that feelings are incredibly important. They give us an idea. They give us a clue of something that needs to be healed still and something that has triggered us from our trauma in the past, just like fear does, you know, making friends with your feelings and doing the work that we're doing on Tuesday in the room where we pull apart different names, you know, labels that we have allows us to not be so afraid, but also to follow the breadcrumbs to figure out why. Because if you're just always shoving it down, you're not doing anything different than whenever you were drinking it away or smoking it away. Um, you are not addressing the core issue. And so we have to be able to accept, I feel sad, I feel scared, I feel angry, huh, where is that coming from? Because my head knows that this situation is going to be okay. But somewhere inside, there's an alarm in my body going off and I need to be able to honor that. And this is a big ACOA issue where actually we were raised with feelings aren't facts and we can use that as a way to avoid actually doing the work. Yeah, well, you know, I think you have to sometimes get to the bottom of you, you just like, you know, we, we see a cycle that just like physical addiction, sometimes mm -hmm. you have to get to the bottom of these emotions. Sometimes you do have to hit a bottom, which we were talking about in the last section, right? And I got to throw up this was for the last thing, but revved up artist on uh, YouTube says, I don't think it matters uh, what gets uh, one there as long as one stays. Uh, the truth uh, will bear out a bottom is relative is willingness to surrender. And I think sometimes surrendering is to say, Hey, you know what? I have these thoughts, 
or I have these feelings and I think I need to address them. And you're talking about these breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, taking these breadcrumbs to get there. Right, right. And I agree. I agree with revved up artists because I do not think it matters what it is. But we can also look at our behaviors that maybe maybe we're not anywhere close to picking up and, ab- and abusing a substance. But maybe we're trying on every pair of jeans that we have in our closet as a way to avoid the fact that we're feeling less than right now, that something yeah. has ruffled our feathers. And so you can use that um, and we can all get used to doing some introspective work and looking at where is the source? Because I guarantee you it's an outdated belief system. Somewhere along, uh, we do not feel like we are enough and we do not feel lovable. And you may be surprised, but these feelings that you're having can be a clue if you stop, acknowledge them, and then follow them back to their source. They can actually open up and allow you to grieve properly something that was stuck Freeze is the mode that a lot of children learn, right? Because you can't really fight and you can't really flee. You're stuck there in your family home. And so we do this thing called freeze and we learn how to fawn, right? To keep ourselves safe. So this is a way of you going back and unfreezing, let's say, you know, starting that download again, you know, rather than pausing it. And it will give you freedom. Well, you know what? There was a lot of conversations this week um, about confused feelings because l- let's let's just be honest. The world's a bit of a dumpster fire right now. It sure like is. Everywhere you turn, you know, and we don't do politics on the show or whatever, but, you, you know, you'd have to be blind that like to are totally unplugged from society and put in a cave somewhere to everywhere you look around, it's negative, whether it's gas prices, which we talked about last week, you know, or, you know, employment or the cost of things, the state of the world, violence, all this other stuff. And it, you know, I think I've said this before. I think people that in recovery are sensitive. We're sensitive people. definitely, And especially the people I think that, that end up uh, getting sober and staying sober, we might not come across like we are, but we are right. So we're absorbing all this stuff. One of the things I learned this week in the recovered life community is how much uh, this is affecting people in addiction and recovery. So much, right? so much. Yes. People are absorbing this. And in the Wednesday codependency, when you're talking about codependency, and then in my Thursday room, I could, I could feel the sense, even with posts on recovered life and comments and stuff, people are, there's a sense of like unknowingness. Right. Uh, I, I felt this week that was kind of affecting everyone. Everybody is unsettled. And, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the Wednesday room and the idea of negative thoughts, because our Wednesday room was all about uh, looking at the positive, not in a toxic positivity way. I do not believe in that. I do not believe sticking your head in the sand and saying everything is great is going to get you anywhere. But it was this idea of making a habit of looking for things that are positive. One of the tools that most people are given in early sobriety, and maybe we keep it up, maybe we don't, (laughs) is a gratitude list. But having true actual gratitude towards some of the things and acknowledging that the world is on tilt, that there is a confusion about what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do next will help. And I love the community because all of us end up saying, you know, similar things like, wow, I feel really confused. Wow, everything that's coming at me has been incredibly negative. I'm not exactly sure. 
what I need to do next. Acknowledging that and following it to its source will help you heal. Plus, picking up your tool belt, like a gratitude list, picking up, you know, honesty and telling somebody, wow, I'm really, really unhappy or, you know, off track right now because everything that's going on in the world, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about it. I don't know what's going to happen next. That really, really helps. Yeah, it does. You know, just being honest that you don't know. It's a step to be able to, I find it very helpful actually, is just to say, you know what? I don't have the answer here because mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, um, one of the things that is problematic with people in recovery is that they believe, okay, now I'm sober. I've overcome all these odds. I have a successful life. My, my life's moving forward. I'm always achieving things. And I think a lot of the times that we have the answer for a lot of stuff because we've done the deal, right? right? But then when we hit up a wall where we don't have the answer, it kind of freaks us out a little bit because it takes you back to being very vulnerable about like, you know what, this is unmanageable. I want to be able to manage this. And we talked about, you know, this week about uh, last week's show about the trauma thing, about trauma yes. and control. And anytime that that's triggered some sort of trauma trigger or any neuropatter trigger, it, it, it brings us back to like, well, we have to control this. And I think the whole thing, it's just like, you know what? Hey, we don't have any control about what's happening overseas. I have zero control. I have no influence to be able to do anything. The only thing I can do, and this is what comes back to the helpful part for me. The only thing I can do is I can, I can do what I'm doing, what I'm putting out to the world. Right. It's the only thing that I have control over. So true. I often tell people when they're like, I don't know what to do. You start with, well, what can you do? And everybody can up their self-care. Everybody can connect with somebody and explain what they're feeling like. Like there are things that we can do to, to settle our nervous system as we continue to walk through this pathway of a pandemic and, you know, the things that are going on overseas. We can take care of ourselves and bring a little bit of positivity to the world that we are in and that will help. And so all the time when people say, I don't know what to do, I can't understand, I'm not sure. I always start with what can you do at this moment? And there's always some work that can be done right at that moment and that's what you focus on. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things about TGIF Sober is we not only talk about what goes on in the community, Christina, but we talk about what's going on in our lives, what we right. learned this week. And I'll tell you, I, I deployed something that I learned early on. You know, I had a guy named Kevin O. Shout out to Kevin and Christy. If, uh, if, if you're listening to this on the replay, uh, early on in recovery in San Francisco would tell me, it's like sometimes when there's mass confusion, do, and there's no clear direction ahead that you should take do nothing. Yes. Do nothing. Wait, wait, unless a pit bull is chasing you down the street. And I love pit bulls, by the way, so <laughs> bad comments about uh, YouTube's already uh, firing up about the news here. They're making comments uh, in the, in the stream about the news, about how negative it is. But unless if there's nothing you can do, sometimes you have to put a pause on that and you mm -hmm. have to hit acceptances to say, you know what, I'm going to wait for my higher power to give me the answer to this. But, so, and then on the things that you can do, start taking massive action, this 10 X action. And right. this week, I have to tell you, I found myself earlier this week feeling a little bit immobilized because I had a big weekend. I was a little tired. We had a ton of stuff with recovered life. I had a ton of stuff with my clients I had to do. And I have to tell you, I like was like, uh, but you know, I just, I 10 X it. I doubled down on the stuff I could do. 
Right. I doubled right. down on stuff that I could do. And I did a lot, right? Like we accomplished a ton of stuff with Recovered Life this week. So it's like, it's so funny because a lot of the things that people, I, I've heard comments from friends and family and stuff. Oh, you're talking about everything that's going on. No, actually we're talking about what's going on with us in sure. our recovery, you know, as it compares and contrasts with the community. And that's what we have to do in order to stay in recovery, in order to stay in, and have the best recovered life. We have to talk about ourselves and we have to become vulnerable and transparent with a few people. As a codependency expert, I'm always saying, make sure who has the front row seat in your life is somebody that's going to support you. We're taking care of ourselves. And that's really what we need to do when there isn't something that we can do about the world affairs or the pandemic. We have to clean house and take care of ourselves so that we can be there for other people. The thing that I didn't know was out there was this huge community. I had no idea that when I did made that decision to put down the drink that I was going to be entering into a society of people that all want to do the best that they can. And, you know, most of the time, if I meet somebody who's in recovery, I already know that they have crossed through some of those lessons and actually understand what's their responsibility and what isn't their responsibility and how yes. can I be of service? Yes. Yes. So much. And you know what? I love the Thursday, the unstuck room. It's it's uh, that's the room that I host. And you came in as a guest. And that was a great conversation, too. I mean, and you, can, guys, you can get that on the replay. We're putting the replays of Recovered Life discussions uh, on uh, Recovered Life now. So you can actually get those after we do them. Christina and I will go put a link so you can listen to the full discussion. If you're not at the place where you feel that like, hey, I want to join in or what time wise you can't join in, you can listen to the discussion. It's so good. And a lot of people ask me how to get those replays. So I'm glad that you shared that you get them on recovered life. Uh, the, the idea, I mean, to be able to listen to other people, be honest and transparent about what's going on is the end of isolation for me. And that alone makes me feel better to know that people struggle with parenting, people struggle with jobs, people struggle with the pandemic, people are struggling out there. But if we can unload a little bit and feel like we're part of, it helps us continue to focus on our recovery. So it is and an essential part. It's an essential it part is. of my recovery. And, it and is. And you know, knowing that, knowing that, uh, knowing that if we can stay sober, that everything's going to be okay. We just take the next right indicated action, right? And that's the key. We were talking about how great it was yesterday in the unstuck room about how sober St. Patrick's day, like, cause yeah. we had an episode about that on Wednesday and you know how nice it is to wake up uh, the day after St. Patrick's day and not have the wreckage of that. Right. And no to be kidding. able to just go on with my Friday and have a great, I'm going to have a great Friday. And, you know, on the Instagram live, we were talking and there were a lot of people there on the Instagram live last night that were saying, you know, yeah, you know, it's such a big drinking holiday, but if everybody's listening to this and you stayed sober during St. Patrick's day, you're new in recovery. Hey, you made it, you right. made it another week. Right. And if you are coming back, we welcome you with open arms. St. Patrick's Day was never anything but a drinking holiday for me. And the freedom that I have knowing I'm going to get up at six o'clock in the morning and do a recovered life show. And I don't have to worry about who was there and what I did. And, you know, did I get in trouble? Yeah. I mean, these this used to be my old life. I really didn't understand that there was so much freedom in putting down 
the uh, substance that I was abusing. There was so much freedom in waking up and, rec and recognizing I don't have any wreckage to clean up from last night. Uh, I have a friend who says she's addicted to hangover free Sundays. And I am too. I love that. That alone is enough, but you get so much more, so much more when you yeah. choose to enter into recovery. Well, that's the key. You know, uh, TGIF Sober, it's all about looking back. Uh, and we're on the Friday here. We'd like to thank everybody uh, for, you know, listening to the show, everybody that joined us on YouTube Live, all the comments that I've got here. Thank you so much for doing this. You know, uh, this has been a lot of fun this week. And yeah. I can't wait for next week. We've got a lot of really great shows next week. And I just got to tell everybody, too, uh, before we end this episode, uh, about Recovered Life, the the app and the website, Christina. Um, this is a really great opportunity for people to be able to jump into the bigger conversation. A lot of people feel lost right now. A lot mm -hmm. of people feel that they've been dispersed from a 12-step group, therapy, right. whatever. Um, this is where that next level conversation is going. This is what it's like having a home group in your pocket, right on your phone. Totally. You can click on it at any time in the app. You can get in and join the conversation. There's, there's a network of people in there that are doing the deal that are in recovery. And the great thing about it, Christina is you don't have to worry. It's not like a Facebook group where, you know, I've been part of where it's just like, oh, I don't really want to share that part of my life with, right. you know, with business associates or whatever, like, um, no, this is great. It's, it's, it's private and we're in, and it's only the people that in there that are doing the deal and recovered life contributors that are helping people do the deal. So guys, you can join that totally for free by going to recoveredlife.us. And I, I really hope that we see everybody that's on YouTube and, and Facebook and that we're interacting with on Instagram, uh, join us at recovered life because it's really a lot of fun. It is, and you're gonna meet people from all over the world. Like I now have people and associates that live in England, that live in Norway, and we're all over there doing the deal. Episode 87, Christina, in the can. Woo! We're done with this. It was really good. We will see you guys all next week for another uh, Recovered Life show. Have a great weekend, guys. Yes, be safe. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.